1: The late lunch with Blackstone Motors Opal, Drajada to Dorkin Cavan. Discover the all-new Opal Mocha, featuring Opal's iconic
2: new signature visor, stunning Opal Pure panel, and a choice of petrol, diesel, or fully electric. The new Opal Mocha is less normal, more Mocha. Visit BlackstoneMotors.ie.
3: You're very welcome to late lunch on LMFM Radio this beautiful Thursday afternoon. Great to have you with us on the show. Did you realise? Well, I have to say I didn't up until recently that, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> we have a centre for talented young people here in Ireland. Yes, dedicated to them, and it's at DCU in Dublin. And we're going to talk about it for the next while because first I'm joined on the line today by Dr. Colm O'Reilly, who's director of the Centre for Talented Youth at DCU. Hello, Colm.
4: Hi. Thanks for having me on.
3: Not at all. This is news to me, and it shouldn't be. You're there quite a while, aren't you?
4: Yeah, next year will be our 30th anniversary, so I think we've served about 100,000 students from then till now. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're we're going strong.
3: Congratulations to you in advance. Happy 30th birthday. Tell our listeners this. What's the purpose of the centre, the idea behind it, the premise of it?
4: Yeah, we work with high-ability students, so that's usually academically talented uh uh, kids aged 6 to 17 and what we're trying to do is to give them courses and classes that they wouldn't normally do in school and then also socially to give them a chance to meet other people who might be interested in the same things as themselves.
3: What are the criteria? Must you be of a level to be taken on board?
4: Yeah that's a great question because obviously look there, there's a bit of debate as to what constitutes high <laughs> ability and, and different views in relation to that We try and look at students who are falling within the top 5% of the population. So in that context, that really normalizes it because that's like one in 20 people. I think sometimes when people hear about high ability or gifted students, they have this misconception of everybody's like Einstein or Mozart, who certainly would be in the top 5%, but would also probably be one in about 10 million. So there'd be a lot less of them, whereas one in 20, there'd probably be one or two in every classroom in, in the country.
3: And how do students, you know, uh, opt into the programmes with you? What's the process?
4: Uh, yeah, so basically, normally we write out, like obviously COVID uh, caused a few problems for us. We had to move all the courses online and there was there was like a few challenges, but we did very well in that context. And now we're kind of getting back to face-to-face stuff. So we've 2000 students attending courses this summer. So normally what we would do is we'd write out to all the schools at the start of the year, the primary and the secondary, and they might nominate some of their better or best students or students who have particular interest in things. But equally so, we would get nominations from parents. I think that particularly the younger the child, they would have a very good uh, indicator of how good their child is at certain things, and uh, they can nominate them as well. And then once they come to us, they would take an assessment to see if they fall in the top 5%, and then we would provide courses and classes for them.
3: And do those courses and classes run in parallel with the academic year or aside of it?
4: Yeah, they actually do run in parallel. So normally say we would run Saturday classes <coughs> for primary and secondary school students and summer courses as well for this group. So obviously look, these kids are gonna be going to school regularly day Monday to Friday. But we kind of find that, like, they might be not getting challenged enough in school and they might be interested in subjects like medicine or forensic science or law or things like that. And we can offer those subjects on Saturdays and during the summer and they can get a chance to study them with people who are also interested in those topics.
3: So I take it from those subjects you mentioned there, you have a wide remit.
4: Yeah, look, I think that's a great thing, because when we have a lot of students, we can really kind of capture little niches in that. Like, obviously, look, I I think everyone would be familiar that subjects like medicine or engineering or law or things like that are going to be popular. You know, they're, they're prestigious courses that are hard to get into in college anyway. And that's great. But like sometimes we're trying to cater for ones who might be very good at computer gaming. We'd have courses in that or theoretical physics or things like superhero science, even things like that. That'd be kind of fun, but a little bit off the mainstream but these kids would find that they'd have a great interest in them and then it would be good for them to talk to people who know a lot about them and experts in the subject. And they can probably go into subjects in much more depth than they would at school.
3: Have you found that it helps students as well find a path in life that they're particularly strong in?
4: Yeah, I think that that's a good thing because sometimes, like, and I'm I'm sure people are listening going, you know, Career guidance can be difficult for high-ability students because a lot of advice is, you know, take the course with the highest points, you know, because you're going to get them. Don't waste your points, that type of thing, which I don't think is a great message. You know, we really want to put people into areas that they're already good at, that they like, that they're motivated in. It's great to do a job that you're really interested in. So what we would try and do is get them to try loads of different things, like maybe psychology one year, maybe philosophy the next year, maybe engineering the year after that, medicine the final year, and they might be able to make better choices for what they might do later in life because sometimes you know it's a lot of pressure to put people on at that age and particularly if they're going to do quite well sometimes it's difficult for them to make decisions that are best for them relative to what they might be really good at.
3: Do you find as well that when you have talented people that little extra challenge and uh, the addition to their education etc and what you're offering you know is what they actually need?
4: Definitely. I think that, look, the curriculum within, and I'm sure there's people, parents will very much identify with this, and teachers, of course, you know, like, look, the the school is based on an idea that we have to meet a certain criteria, you know, and once Mm. we've, and look, that's a good thing. And once we reach that criteria, and, and there would be students who would struggle to reach that, and we have to give them resources and needs for that to happen. And I totally agree with all of that. But equally so, you can have bright kids who would reach that criteria really, really easily. And there doesn't seem to be anything then to keep them stimulated or occupied, or there's nothing within that system for them to kind of further go into depth with things that they're already good at. And they have to wait for everybody to finish and get to the level that they're at before they move on to the next topic. These courses are very useful for being able to move at a quicker pace, being able to work with students who are interested in the same things as themselves, and to maybe do something a little bit different outside of the mainstream schoolwork, which mightn't be very challenging or
3: exciting for them. Makes absolute sense. So let's have a word with a couple of your students. With you there I know today is Thomas Potter. Would you put him on to me please for a moment?
4: I will of course.
3: Thomas, how is the form? Thank you very much for joining me on the show. We've been talking to Dr Colin O'Reilly there who was telling us all about the centre there. You are a part of it yourself as well. Tell us a bit about yourself. Where are you from? What age are you and why are you there?
2: Uh, So I'm 15. I'm from Meath, but I'm doing the CTYI to have a look at the forensic science course. Pretty much about crime investigation, trying to figure out who actually caused the crime without knowing who did it. So investigation type stuff.
3: So this is what you're into and that's what you're there specifically for. Any reason why? Uh, Not really. It was
2: more just I had free time over the summer and I wanted to learn something new, pick up a new set of skills Mm. over the summer
3: and in terms of you uh, applying to be taken on board there uh, as part of, of the uh, the whole place wh- wh- why are, are are you there are you you know are you in the top percentage of people would you say in your class at the moment you know intelligence wise
2: uh, it's yeah i i did a talent search test back a while ago for the ctyi course analysis so when I took the test, I was in the top 95th percentile in humanitarians, which is what you need to do the forensic science course. But I was only in the 85th percentile for the mathematics. So it really depends what you like and what you're good at, what course you do. Mm. So I'd be smart in English and other things like that, but I wouldn't be as strong in maths or other science uh, subjects. Okay.
3: So this course is suitable to you and the way you were assessed and that's why you're there at the moment. Is this one a you to doing something in this area beyond school or, or, or does that come into the equation at all for you?
2: Uh, yeah, it could be something, if I really enjoy it, which I am at the moment, it could be something that I look into for after college or while I'm in college doing a related course to the forensic science.
3: Mm. And it's quite different, as uh, Colin was telling us there, from formal school. Do you like that aspect of it?
2: Uh, Yeah, I do. It's a lot more relaxed as in normal school. There'd be a lot more rules set on you and you wouldn't be able to have as much freedom as you would here. It's a lot Mm. easier to learn and pick up skills than it would be in a normal classroom setting.
3: Are you long uh, involved with the programme or are you relatively new? I'm, this is my first course doing it, so I'm right. very new to this. Good. And how are you finding it so far? Is it what you expected?
2: Uh, it's not what I expected. I expected it to be a bit stricter, but it's actually <laughs> very relaxed, as in they don't give you direct sets of rules to follow or yes. direct guidelines to do. You kind of mm. just are given the ropes to it and are told to do what you want, really.
3: Well, that's the way it'll be when you go to college, just to let you in a little secret as well. <laughs> Thomas, yeah. it's preparing you for that. What, what, uh, what uh, year are you in at school at the moment? In uh, I've just
2: finished my junior cert, so I'm into TY now. And okay. I think I'm doing the computer science
3: in TTY, during TY actually. Good stuff. So that'll run in parallel. You don't begrudge the extra time or having to do extra additional curricular activities. No, it's not like that.
2: No, not at all. It's completely my choice to do it.
3: Yeah, good on you. Good on you. It opens up a new vest- Vista for you. We have another uh, student. Uh, stay there, Thomas. Have you put me back on column? I'll come back to him in a moment. Lucy Flynn. Hello, Lucy. Hello. Lucy, how are you? I know you're away on holidays and thanks for taking time to talk to me today. Tell us what you're doing, uh, your involvement, please, with the talented Youth Ireland at DCU.
1: I did theoretical physics.
3: Okay, And what age are you and where are you going to school? What year are you in?
1: I'm 13. I'm in first year. Well, I just finished first year. I go to school at Sacred Heart, Drahada.
3: Good on you. And why apply to this programme again? I'll ask you the same question. How did you find out about it?
1: Well, I think the entrance exam, the top 85th percentile, um, we got to go on to do the test for the talent search. And I was in the top 95th percentile for both maths and English. So I got to apply for this CTYI course.
3: And how long are you on it? Are you another newbie to it? Yes, it's my first year. Okay, so first year for you too. And what do you make of it again? What's your take on it? What do you feel about it early days?
1: Oh, I, I love it. I love both the academic side, the actual course. It was wonderful. And I learned so much from the teaching instructors, the assistants. Everyone was so kind, helpful and informative but I also loved meeting new people my own age who all had similar interests. It was an amazing experience altogether. together. It was really enjoyable. It was well-organised, but there weren't too many rules at the same time. It was inter- interactive and gratifying.
3: Isn't that funny that both of you say that as well? Thomas finds that, that it's more relaxed. There's not as many rules. It's easier, really, than uh, your formal schooling. Did you need this? Did you feel personally, Lucy, that for you, a new challenge like this was something that you were ready for and wanted?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. I love learning, so this was this is just amazing.
3: Mm. So is school uh, uh, a pudding for you? School is no challenge.
1: Not not really. Not compared to this. Yeah,
3: yes. I mean, okay, I, so... I do
1: work hard, but mm. not as much. No.
3: Yeah, and where are you on the academic ladder? Are you uh, what year are you in?
1: I'm in first year. Well, I just okay, so... so I'll be going into second year.
3: OK, good on you. So you find that uh, this is definitely stimulating for sure. It, 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 in school terms, and, and going to college now yourself, or to second level school, should I say, is it difficult, you know, that you are an intelligent young woman? Do you stand out from the crowd? You know what I'm getting at? Are you different to the rest?
1: Um, Yes, generally. As Oren, I believe, said, you know, gifted. I don't like the word because you are treated differently by everyone.
3: In what way?
1: Well, I suppose they have a higher standard or they expect more of you. They think it comes mm. easier, which sometimes it does, but not in all areas, not all the
3: time. Mm. Mm.
1: So do you feel the need to fulfil those expectations.
3: And what about your peers, your, your fellow students in class and that? How do they look on you?
1: Well, I suppose not quite with jealousy, but more appreciation. I suppose mm. I'm just, it's it's kind of, it can be easier for me to do certain things, but it can also be a lot easier for them to do others. So yeah, it, it all yes. balances out in the end.
3: Yes, we all have our different talents and strengths, and I understand uh, what you're saying as well. So you're looking forward to being involved with this project over the coming years as you move on through uh, your academic studies?
1: Oh, yes. I can't wait to come back.
3: <laughs> Good on you. Is your mum there with you, Sarah? Um, She is, yes. Can I have a quick word with her, please? Hello, how are you doing? Hi, Sarah. How are you? Nice to talk to you. Thanks uh, for joining us on the show today. As a mum of a, a pretty intelligent young woman, we can get that for sure. And as one involved in this programme, are you very pleased that she has this now, this other aspect to her life and education?
5: I'm absolutely delighted. I have to say um, she has a thirst for knowledge. She's always reading and learning Um now, I have to say Sacred Heart School has been fantastic because some of her teachers actually set her different tasks and more challenging tasks, specifically mm. in the area of maths and science. So they do recognize that and they support it. But this is just perfect for her during the summer. Three full weeks, an intensive learning experience of the college environment. She's with her peers. She's with like minded people. She's able to, I suppose, speak openly and freely amongst, I suppose, 13-year-olds who have, I suppose, just the same interests. It's not mm. every 13-year-old who wants to talk about, you know, dark matter or, you know what I mean, theoretical physics. So, so it's great for her. It's great. Mm.
3: Yeah, that's really good to hear and, and great to hear the school has played such an important part as well. Anyway, you're on your holidays and I'm not going to disturb you anymore. Thank you both for joining me. I'm just going to go back to the boss, Colm O'Reilly, for a moment before we finish. Thanks indeed. Take care of yourselves. Thanks Thank for joining me on the show. Take care. Now, that's uh, Sarah, Mum, and Lucy Flynn there. And We were talking to Thomas Potter a few moments ago. Colm, you're there, are you? Column, you're back with me. Thank you, um, Colm. Just before we finish, thank you uh, for joining me on the show today. It's really interesting and and uh, really interesting to listen to the two of them who are just starting out on this as well and what they hope and what they're getting from it already. And we can really hear that it plays a very important part and will in their lives. That must be great to hear that yourself from students.
4: Ah, uh, yeah, it really is. Like I think that it's it's a great reflection on on what we're trying to do to kind of hear some positive uh, feedback from the students themselves. You know, I think that a lot of them are get very stimulated by what happens in the courses and the classes, but equally so, I think they make a lot of friends and, you know, meet different people from different schools and, you know, get different points of view. And I think that's so important at that age, you know, not to be in the same cycle of just like with, with, a, with a very small peer group in that context. It's great yeah. right, to broaden your perspective and horizons. And, you know, we have some students who like started when they were six and have come all the way up until they were 17 and it really is amazing to see them growing up mm. in front of you and the confidence that has increased over the years it's, it's a really nice experience you know.
3: It certainly is well happy 30th again in advance and well done to you all keep up the great work there and it's uh, been great to have a chat with you this afternoon on the show thank you Colum.
4: Thank you so much.
3: Not at all. Take care of yourself. That's Dr. Colm O'Reilly there, Director of the Centre for Talented Youth Ireland at DCU. And another aspect to life and education, to be honest, you; I've learned about uh, today. Late lunch, LMFM Radio. Back in a moment. She's only been endorsed by the royal family. Yes, professional nanny Catherine Lord is joining us on late lunch after two today. I was watching the golf earlier on. I was up real early watching the tee off this morning. Oh, there's over 40 players under par, sure Andrews it's so benign the weather at the moment Cameron Young leading the way on 8 under par 8 under leading 3 shots ahead of the rest of the field uh, including uh, Smith from Australia Ernie Els is there Rory McIlroy 12 holes played 5 under he's going great guns but the golf for the next 4 days it's going to be simply wonderful we just need a bit of wind to blow in Scotland and blow them off course a little bit because it's too easy for them I have to say so far today but the Open there's nothing like it I was there the last Time it was in St Andrews, and when I tell you, we flew over myself and Jared. We never saw a ball hit. The whole day was abandoned. The wind was so strong, but we had great crack with all the pros. They came out and talked to everybody and practiced and everything. It was simply wonderful. I'll be glued for the next four days. I want to wish my good friend Eddie Joyce and his wife Brenda, lovely Brenda, a very happy wedding anniversary today. How many years ago is it? Tempest fugitive. I don't even want to think. I was his best man. He said I made a great speech. I'm sure it was a car crash at the time. Anyway, Eddie and Brenda, happy anniversary today enjoy yourselves have a great time and uh, we'll dedicate this one to you you know i'm a big billy Joel fan i think eddie is a closet one too here we go taking us up to news and weather at two it's uptown girl with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this beautiful Thursday afternoon. Now, my next guest hails from Lancashire. She's an award-winning nanny, teacher and home organiser who has assisted so many families in the UK directly and through her business, her writing and broadcasting to the point where she's received royal approval, yes, from the Queen herself and Kate Middleton, the Duchess of Cambridge. I'm delighted to say hello this afternoon on Late Lunch to Catherine Lord. Hello, Catherine. Hello,
5: thank you for having me.
3: Not at all. You're very welcome to the show. We need you at this time, Catherine, because you see summer holidays are in full swing from our schools here and children's routines are out the window, which means that parents are as well. Catherine, help, please. (laughs) What do you say to, you know, uh, parents and people looking after children at holiday time? Because you do know and you've written about it that children love routine. What do you do when routine goes out the window?
5: Um, I would say don't throw your whole routine out the window. The children thrive off consistency and routine. It makes them feel safe. So having the basics of your routine still there, obviously before the summer holidays start or do it now, Um, agree with them on the new rules because things do change, such as how many ice wallies you might need in the heat at the moment or how much screen time that they're allowed because you can't adjust those
3: things. Consistency is another thing, isn't it, when you uh, mind and look after children and you have a lot of experience. It's difficult though, isn't it? Isn't it a challenge to be consistent when they're coming at you left, right and centre with different issues and challenges?
5: Um, I think it's all about the boundaries you uphold for them. As a caregiver and as a parent, it is your responsibility to help them have healthy boundaries. And yes, they will push them. But the best thing for your children is to show, to, for you to show them that they are safe. So unfortunately, we do need to eat our vegetables and we do need to go to sleep at the end of the day. Um, and it's our, it is our job to help them through that when they need the, the support that they've got to get.
3: When you mention healthy boundaries and you do mention food there as well that's uh, one thing of course but they love their treats. I'm sure you've had to say no have you on many occasions when you've been looking after children when they really do want to push the button there and have six ice lollies or more.
5: (laughs) Yeah of course but then you can adjust it. One of my favourite things for children is to make ice lollies ourselves and then then that helps with their mass and ratios it also helps them with their creativity and talking about the benefits of the fruit that you can uh, put in and it's about science as well but one of my favorite things is freezing bananas so you just take off the the um the peel and put them in cling film and put them in the freezer for a few hours and then it really does just taste like a nice lolly so they can still have those things but make it more healthy
3: I like that. I must try that. I've never tried that with the frozen banana. That's a good tip. <laughs> Even for myself, I'm going to try over over the coming days. You know, when you look after children, I, I would say patience is is a huge virtue with children. But isn't it difficult at times to 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 be patient with them? And is that one probably the most important trait? Um, I think
5: patience is the most important trait, and it's about. Basically, we're trying to help them become independent. So if you step back and let them fail, let them try, let them do it wrong, and then give them chance to work it out, it will help them and you in the long run. If you keep doing things for them because you run out of patience, then they'll learn it's um, an education where there's learned helplessness. They'll think that they can't do something or that they're not able to do it because you keep doing it for them. So if you can step back and just calm but as well, adding into your routine is giving them enough time so then they can have the time to do it. So then you can give them the patience that they deserve.
3: So let them fail themselves and fail again and be patient with them. And it's far better in the long run. What about, you know, if you have one child, lots of people have just a single child, maybe two children. Big families are, are not a thing of today, really. I'm sure you're, you're well aware of that. But say, let's say you have more than one child and you have, say, one at the baby stage, another at the toddler stage. And you're dealing with different aspects of childhood. How do you handle that? You know, is, is that more difficult?
5: Uh, of course it's more difficult. As a nanny, I've mainly worked with three children of differing ages. So right now I've got a four-year-old, a six-year-old, and an eight-year-old as a nanny. Um, there is it's just differentiating the activities. So you can do the same activity, but it's either your expectations that are different or you set it up differently. So for example, baking for the really little one or probably younger than the four-year-old, what I would do is measure it out for her so then she can put them in the right order and mix them. Whereas when they're a bit older, they can start weighing things out themselves. And when they're older, you can just give them the instructions and the ingredients and they do it entirely themselves.
3: So when you're doing your baking or whatever, you can incorporate, you can incorporate all ages in and give them the different tasks. I, I hear what you're saying, but it is challenging. And you you have three now and you've worked with families uh, in different, let's say, socioeconomic groups as well. Are children the same the world over? Are we, you know, from, coming from different backgrounds. What's your experience there, Catherine?
5: Yeah, of course they are. Yeah, they're, they're inquisitive and they're excited um, and they just want to learn that the world is new for them at their age like when they're young and they're growing up it doesn't really matter what economic background they're from the world is still new and exciting for them so it's about helping them see the world the way that they do and not like taking that away from them
3: Is it difficult being a nanny per se that when you are sort of I don't mean this disrespectfully, you know, but you're standing in really for the parents who are working or have other calls upon them and you're taking charge of the rearing of their children. How do you marry that? with, Or is it a challenge for you with what the parents actually want? Or do you just do it your way? Or do you act on instructions from parents? Uh,
5: no, so it's really important to have a really, really good team with the parents that you're working for and yourself. Um, in the interview process, obviously they interview me, myself, but I also interview them. And if, if our uh, ideologies and the, and the way we think you bring up a child is different, then I probably wouldn't take the job. It's really important for the children that you, they've got, like I said before, consistency. But They need uh, a strong parent and nanny team to help them grow um, positively.
3: You obviously bond with children closely when you spend so much time with them. Is it difficult when you move on for you and the children, or is it just a job for you?
5: Oh, no, it's very, very difficult. No, um, my my first role, he's called The Little Man in My Life, and he's actually uh, throughout my first book. um, When I left him, it was very, very, very difficult. And I thought I couldn't love another child as much as I loved him. And then my next child, um, I actually did overnights with her. And then I felt like I couldn't love a child as much as I loved her. But what I found is, because I've had many children now, is your heart just grows bigger. It's not it's not that you love anybody any less. It's just that you've got lots of love for all of them. And luckily in my job, I do get to go and see the children as they grow up, um, obviously in a different way. But they'll all be in my heart.
3: Mm, It's interesting, isn't it? And uh, I love that uh, phrase you used there, your heart gets bigger. And of course, you have to have a a big heart to do this. But look, besides being a nanny, you've you've written two books now about this. Well, related to it, uh, there's more to books than reading. And your second one is uh, more to organising. That word organise and organisation, some people just can't be organised. What do you say to people who find it difficult to be organised in their lives?
5: Um, so I would say read the book. Um, so organising <laughs> is about where you place the things in your life. It's about your routines, it's about your habits, but it's also about getting rid of anything that doesn't serve you. So the amount of times we waste time because our house or our routine is full of stuff that we actually don't need. Um, when we can boil that down, life gets easier.
3: So clutter is the enemy? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that is for a lot of people for sure what about this endorsement you got from the royal family the Queen and Kate Middleton that must have been extra special uh,
5: so I sent my books uh, my first book to the Queen and Kate Middleton and I, and I got letters back that was the most exciting thing um, I was actually living in a house share and my landlord gave the envelope and they said it's got a royal stamp on and that was really exciting uh, but now I've had four letters from them um, and they're each of as exciting as the
3: first one so do you reckon Kate Middleton is reading your books and uh, implementing you know aspects of what you've written about and recommend
5: um well, I'm not sure she's definitely reading them, but I know she's very uh, she believes under five is as important as I do um, and I love that her um the thing that she's doing at the moment, so I love the fact that she I'd like to. I like to think that she has read it and and is using some of the ideas.
3: Children of uh, various ages. You mentioned there that you're looking after three of different ages at the moment. Does it become more challenging as they get older and they have minds of their own and they question more and they perhaps challenge you more? That's uh, it's a more difficult phase as they grow up. Easier when they're much smaller.
5: Um, I, I think it's easier if you get them smaller because with the organising side, you can help them with the routines that will help them in their day to day life. As you get them older, it's harder to help them with that sort of things. but it's still possible. Um, one of my roles was with a 13-year-old, um, and I, I was used to working with toddlers and younger. Um, so that was an eye-opener, but it was a wonderful challenge for me, and it did make me think differently, even about how I look after the younger children as well.
3: From you started, and you reflect now where you are today and the experiences you've been through with different families, when you look at yourself starting out, it must be night and day, is it, to where you are today with the experience? What are the biggest, you know, learnings you've taken from your, your time working as a nanny? What would you say are the big ones?
5: Um, I would say uh, I had to learn about housekeeping a lot more than when I was a <laughs> Um which is probably why I became so well organised in it, because it, when my first, I remember my first time, I was trying to do all the laundry for three children And I was trying to do all the clubs and things. If you're not organised, it it can get out of hand. So I guess organising is the one thing that um, came from that. But I think it is just the joy of the children. Being a teacher, obviously, the children are a joy anyway in schools. But getting to see the whole child and getting to to see them grow up like I do uh, is just magical.
3: At the end of the day, after a challenging day, with three of them that you're looking after at the moment, do you just collapse down and fall asleep? Uh,
5: sometimes I have been known to fall asleep on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> but every day is different and every day is exciting. So I'm, I'm already up the next day, looking forward to seeing them again.
3: Good on you. You're, the most recent book, that's the latest one, is it More to Organising? That's out at the moment.
5: Yes, that came out in January this year.
3: Yeah, and the previous one is There's More to Books Than Reading, which is a fascinating read, I have to say, because it talks about so much more. Uh, Well done, Tia, on the two books and the acknowledgement uh, from the royal family as well. And thank you for joining us today, giving us an insight on what it's like to be a nanny to uh, so many children. Thanks, and I wish you well, Catherine.
5: Thank you. Thank you so much.
3: Not at all. Take care of yourself. That's Catherine Lord there with a royal endorsement, a nanny. Did you ever have a nanny in your life? Are there many people who had nannies in Ireland? I, I think I remember one or two growing up, but not too many, to be honest with you. But that wouldn't surprise me a, a, at all. Anyway, the nanny. Had you a nanny? Have you any memories of a nanny? Oh eight six eighteen hundred six five eight by WhatsApp or text. It must be very hard to pull yourself away when you've been with children. Uh, for a time, that is for sure Late lunch, LMFM Radio Still to come on the show Big black tie event coming back this year After three years off the social calendar And we're going to be chatting as well In a wee while to Kay McCabe From the Involve Mead Youth Project Fascinating uh, chat with Kay coming up Looking forward to catching up with her again Stay with us on your late lunch Yeah, tonight's going to be a good night Surely is especially if you're Cameron Smith and you're leading the Open golf and you're 800 par after your first round, you're going to have a great night, aren't you? All the golf, yes, all golf uh, lovers glued to the TV over the next four evenings for sure. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Thank you, Heather Harmon. Heather's been in touch with us on the show. Just to say, Jerry, um, there was a lot of talk about... uh, Price rises uh, in fuel at the pumps for the last number of weeks. Just want to let you know, in Dramiskin and County Loud, diesel 199.9 a litre, petrol 198.9 per litre. The prices are coming down, Louise.
0: Well, hope so.
3: I'm yeah, sure. it looks like it. Yeah, they have fallen back. They need to fall back a lot more for sure. Or will they? There's only a temporary respite. But there you are, one ninety nine point nine for diesel, one ninety eight point nine in Dramiskin. Anybody I, see lower prices than that? Did you, did you see anything
0: lower than that? No, race? but I got I got my petrol um last week in just outside Latterkenny and a lot of places up there were one ninety nine mm. um two oh six was the dearest kind right. of I saw around Donegal.
3: Okay. If anybody sees lower prices than one ninety eight point nine for petrol, one ninety nine point nine for diesel, you might let us know. Oh eight six eighteen hundred six five eight by WhatsApp or text this afternoon. Or the highest the price show. you've seen. Oh yeah, that's that's a good point as well. If you mm. if it's still up high somewhere, let us know as well. Oh eight six eighteen hundred six five eight. Good point. Uh, point well made there. Not much to report from the island last night. We forget about it for today. It's got a bit slow, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, kind of the nights are running into. The nights, yeah. do you know what I mean?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing to report. Oh, but I have breaking news. I have breaking You're going on the news. Island. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting out of this island tomorrow. Jesus, that I'm in for the last seven days. Woohoo! I can't wait. I'm breaking free tomorrow. I'm going to play queen tomorrow on the show. Anyway, you'll have um, to
0: leave your socks and, <laughs> and uh, sandals at home. <laughs>
3: <laughs> don't have sandals, never had, never <laughs> will in my life, unless I take up the religious vows someday, but she would never know what had happened. But anyway, I have breaking you news. You'd say "Massive as it is
0: anyway. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we been told that a few times for sure. I have breaking news, Louise, breaking news. Mm-hmm. Louise, my favourite mug is in bits. <laughs> It's in bits, Louise, my favourite mug. It
0: is breaking news. <laughs> I said it is breaking news. Ah. Uh, yeah my favourite mug from Alaska. I was wondering Alaska. why you were so cranky this morning. So ah. not only was your favourite mug broken, you had no mug to put your coffee in. <laughs> ah, Well,
3: I had these other things here. I wish 20 of the others had been in bits on the floor, but not this one. Mm. My red mug with the mooses on it, the moose from Alaska that I bought there 10 years ago met its end last night and I was devastated. Oh, devastated. And it, you it,
0: have it, it, a favourite mug. Everybody, I'm sure, has a favourite mug or cup that they just yeah. go to. Yeah.
3: Would you be annoyed if your favourite your favorite mug broke? Would you be annoyed? Yeah,
0: I bring my favourite mug on holidays and everything. So there, yeah, really I would not. be. I do. I do I'm because, happy. yeah, you know, if you're stay- staying in self-catering and you land somewhere and they have like tiny teacups and you go, oh, mm. no, I have to have a big mug of coffee. So I make sure I have a big mug of coffee by bringing my own mug.
3: I saw your mug and I'm not joking you folks. You could grow tomato plants in it (laughs) if it's that big. A tomato would, you could rare tomato plant in it and and it would grow through the years that big. But would you be annoyed if if it broke?
0: Yeah, you would. Yeah. Yeah, because you have to Mm. get used to another cup then or mug.
3: Oh, when I saw it, I thought a decade or more down the Swanee, It's gone out now to the bin today. Our bins are being collected. Anyway, sure, it's only a mug, but still you have a little pang in your heart don't you when your mug is broken Mm -hmm. your favourite mug you do yeah, you do you feel you've lost a little bit of yourself I don't think
0: coffee or tea tastes the same in a different one then
3: (laughs) you're very much into that stuff I suppose for me I I, I, you know I I love me mug and I use another one as well anyway I'll just have to try and get back to Alaska and buy another one how about that
0: (laughs) oh what an excuse
3: (laughs) (laughs) that's what I was just thinking um The other thing I want to (laughs) say, I need a new mug. I do need a new mug. You know, vitamin D, we've spoken about vitamin D on the show many times since the pandemic started and Dr. Dan McCartney, uh, a great proponent of Mm -hmm. taking vitamin D on a daily basis. And uh, Connor Kerley as well. Great man up in Dundalk with his business, vitamin D. Did you see the story of the man in the UK who overdosed on vitamin D? No. He was taking more than 20 times the recommended uh, daily dosage. He was taking 50,000 international units. Why? You're supposed to take 200 or 400 maximum of a day. He was taking 50,000 units a day. Why? He overdosed on vitamin D. But
0: well, why? He was did. he just wanted to protect himself against COVID yeah, completely, yeah, and make he, sure he, he uh, yes, get me? Yes.
3: Yeah. Anyway, he took that much of it. He ended up in hospital with organ failure and stuff like that and uh, lucky to survive it. So just a warning there. Just take the recommended. Don't go mad in it. Uh, You know, when you think of that, 50,000 units as against 400 units a day is just crazy. So just a little warning on that one there. Don't end up like that bloke did overdosing and vitamin D. Yes, the recommended daily doses. But imagine going to that extreme, Louise.
0: Madness, I know, isn't he? Yeah. He was obviously Madness. terrified.
3: Oh, oh, I don't know what happened. him. Anyway, he was nearly more terrified because he nearly lost his life because of it. But just, I'd say that give it a little shout out today. It's a story I spotted in recent days. I
0: have good news for you too. Yeah? Yeah, I've saved you loads of money. Have you? Yeah, your wife will be delighted with me. Go on. You can buy the mug online, Jerry.
4: <laughs> the mug
0: that broke. Yeah. Can I? I don't know whether it's the exact same, but I'm looking at loads of picture of mugs here with moose on them and
3: now now, listen I'm going to expunge this from the podcast because I don't want <laughs> herself to hear you saying those words that you can buy it online I have to go to Alaska to buy that mug are you listening that's the official line don't be going down any other road with online I'm not into that online buying at all I like to go in person and you know do the deal across the counter mm. with the person you know what I mean mm. Louise and that's only possible <laughs> by going back to Alaska you and your bloody online mugs <laughs> good news she says. Desperate, desperate news that is. Anyway, good news next because on Late Lunch we're going to hear about a big black tie event that's back after three years. Stay with us. I'm sure Robert Murray, who is president of Drogheda Chamber, is a happy man today as he looks ahead to later in the year and we're going to find out why now. Robert, welcome back to Late Lunch.
6: Thank you very much for having me, Jerry.
3: Not at all. How long are you president of the Chamber, do you mind me asking? How many years?
6: It's a, funny t- you know, it's a funny question because I seem to be asked that very often in the last few weeks. Um, it's my second year, so I'm just at the end of my, um, my second year.
3: And Robert, my heart goes out to you. You haven't had the opportunity to host the annual business awards. I know, and, I, and you know
6: Irene very well in our chamber office, and she's kind of it's the one thing she's saying to me you need to get the chamber uh, business awards under your belt. So um, I'm looking forward to um, seeing them now in November.
3: Ah, good on you. So the events uh, are coming back and this is no exception. How many years is it now, Robert? Three? Will it be three years since the last one?
6: Yeah, so 2019 was a huge one and our president that year was um, was Sean McManus, as you'll remember. And it was just such a lovely evening. It was full, it was packed, I'd say, between 300 and 400 people in the room in City North. Black tie, like, you know, everyone showing their best. Obviously, it was pre-COVID, so it was just, you know, it was normal times. Um, So we're looking forward to the same as that again now in November. So 26th of November in City North is where we're going to be this year.
3: Now, that seems a bit away to people listening today, but (laughs) it's a very important time because the official launch is actually tomorrow. Tell us what's happening.
6: Yeah, and thanks um, to yourself and LMSM for allowing us to to um, to kick this off here because it's the first time really we're going to be talking about it today and then we're officially launching it tomorrow, as you said, in the Highlands Gallery. So there's a few kind of key deadlines or a t- few dates I might just maybe mention if I could. Mm. Maybe we can walk through them. But tomorrow is a key date because tomorrow we're going to officially launch the 2022 Awards, the Northeast Business Excellence Awards, and uh, we're very excited to do it in the Highlands Gallery. Well, and thank Eva for um, for um, for letting us um, be there and to, to have a great event tomorrow. So that's a, that's a, that's going to be really kind of you know thanking our sponsors, kicking it off, opening up the applications
3: and after tomorrow then following on from the launch um people are invited then our businesses are invited to apply to the various categories i was just looking there are 14 categories there are uh, two other categories uh, sort of outside the 14 the lifetime achievement and there's another one voted on by the public robert but let's say Mm -hmm. 14 main categories are they open to any business or do you have to be a chamber member
6: no, absolutely not. So they're open to everybody. So um, chamber members and non-members. Like the, the piece that, like you know, this is really important for me is as chamber president to say this: that we want to encourage business activity. We want to encourage um, businesses to work. Um, with each other, like you know, competing businesses. No matter if you're a chamber member or not, we want to make sure that we're, we're there to help your activity. So we want as many businesses in the area, not just like in Drohada and districts. It is Drahada and District Chamber. We want p- businesses in, like you know, so if it's a solopreneur or if it's a large corporate, we want you in there, and we want you. Well, what, there's a categories for your business if you if you um, if you if you have a look on the website. So DrohadaChamber.e, you'll see the, um, the all the information is there. Now, in terms of the, the key dates, like obviously you can go in there and make the application now you can put in for three categories so each individual business can apply for three one of you can put in up to three categories to be um, to be shortlisted but of course why would you put in um, an application for the awards and I think the main thing to look at here just before we even talk about the rest of the dates would be that this is a great opportunity to be recognized to have your business recognized also challenged. because like you know some people are doing different things and they want to see get a bit of feedback so there's, there's an absolutely brilliant judging panel as well which i might talk about in a second but the um business excellence um awards really is about recognizing the business rewarding the business and celebrating because like you know this there's it's been a very difficult time this is a great way to just get back out and, and to celebrate businesses in the area um so a key date that like you know so i know it's a long way away you said november is a long way away that's absolutely certain. that's sure but now we're talking about um inviting people to come in make your application the 10th of august is another key date So the 10th of August, we're going to have an online briefing, and that's going to allow businesses to come in and get expert advice and tips on how to make a winning entry. So this is a very crucial piece, and it's been a very important element of our our awards that gives good feedback, constructive feedback to businesses and helps them um, deliver a better strategy for themselves as well going forward. That's a crucial one. And then, of course, the biggest one that we don't want people to miss is the 9th of September. That Friday is the closing date for companies to complete their applications. We won't be taking them in after that. So we want to make sure that people make their up to three category applications and get excited to get your team involved. And, um, like, you know, it's lovely to be shortlisted. And it's it's great content for businesses as well. They need to be, like, you know, be selfish around this and get your application in. Be part of it. We want to to have a a really – we will definitely have a very successful event. We know that. So it's important that people get in early and don't miss the seats as well because we want to make sure that we've got a full room in City North as well. Um, And then of course on the 11th of october is another date where the short list will happen so roll the clock forwards like you know this is a, this is a commitment that you're giving yourself as a business to get yourself in there and get your team behind us and and be and enjoy the actual the build up um and then the judges will be interviewing finalists um um towards the middle of october 18th to 19th and 20th so there's a whole process there of course it's free to take part and, um, and it's a great way to, to challenge your business and to assess your business as well. And then, of course, the big night then on the 26th, which I know you're so, going to be joining us for.
3: I, I will indeed. and looking forward to it immensely. But those dates, all key dates in the process. The Highlands tomorrow, what time does the event begin there?
6: It's 10.30, so if anyone would like to, just pop by, and like, um, you can also contact the Chamber Office if you wanted to, um, if you wanted to just, you know, maybe give us notice if you wanted to arrive, but everyone's welcome to join us tomorrow, it's, it's, it's just, it's going to be a nice event, <clears throat> it's going to be a very short event, Do you know, it's only an hour long, it's half 10 till
3: half 11. So look, there you have it, that's what lies ahead, but it starts tomorrow, 10.30 in the Highlands Gallery for an hour, and then the key date beyond that, now there's a briefing on the 10th of August, but the key date, the closing date, is the 9th of September. September. That's the big date yeah. then to keep in focus. Robert, look, I wish you well uh, with this uh, whole process because it's been missed massively for the last three years, but it is back and will be back with a bang this year with the dinner in November.
6: Absolutely. Thanks very much, Jerry. Thank you.
3: Not at all. Thank you for joining me. Robert Murray there, President of Drogheda Chamber with the Big Black Tie Awards Night coming up on the 26th of November. It's quite a way away, but sure, luck doesn't tempest fugit and time flies round. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Thursday afternoon. Still to come on the show today, we're going to uh, be talking very shortly to Kay McCabe, and she is a project worker with the Involved Me Youth Project, and they've been acknowledged for a very special uh, thing that they've come up with. And it applies uh, very widely, I have to say, in society, just not particular uh, to themselves or, or the area of work that they're involved in. Kay McCabe is a senior project worker with Involve Meath Youth Project. And they've been acknowledged recently for something really special. And she's on the line. Hello, Kay. Hi,
7: how are you? How are things?
3: I'm really good. Thanks for joining me again. Tell our listeners, what is the No Shame Game?
8: Um, well, the No Shame Game is a mental health board game made by young people for young people. So um, it was a campaign we started a couple of years ago. I'm, I'm a youth worker who works with young people from the traveller community and other young people in Navan and Trim. Um, and the young people wanted to start up their own mental health campaign. So we started the No Shame campaign. And then from that, you know, we kind of, so the young people acknowledge that When you do anything to do with mental health, sometimes it's very serious and, you know, it can be very schooly and things like that. So they decided to make their own game that would help other young people talk about mental health and bring up the the subject and try and break down that stigma and shame that surrounds mental health.
3: Who was involved in pulling this together or coming up with the concept?
8: Well there's a number of young people from our Navin project so we have two projects we've won in Navin and we've won in Trim so it was a combination of both clubs both youth clubs came together in the summer of last year when we were finally allowed to reopen our doors (laughs) for Covid and we were only allowed to do it outside mind you so we set up um, a workshop outside in our Trim youth club and we brought we got some young people brought over to Navin or from Navin to Trim so um, there was about uh, 10, 12 young people in total um, involved in, in making the game and some youth workers then to help guide them and direct them in and to gather the right information from the right sources. So the game kind of centres around um, for the game, for the win the game, you have to collect your five a day for mental health. So they're recognised around the world. You know, there are important things that we all should do on a daily basis to to keep our mental health well. So they range from connecting with others, learning something new, being active and um, taking notice. And I can never remember the fifth one for some strange reason. Um, so if you collect the five of them, you're the first person to win. But playing the game then, we also um, came up with some other things that maybe would help young people with their mental health. So there's emoji cards. So these cards help young people name emotions. So, you know, we all struggle at times um, for words. Well, maybe me and you don't. But some people struggle for words at times and how to put them into words, how they're feeling. So the, the emoji cards help with name and emotions. And then there's scenario cards. So the young people come up with different um, scenarios. Some of them are very serious um, ranging from sexting to you know, making mistakes or stealing or smoking and things like that. And then some not so serious ones that you might come across on a daily basis like if an adult asks you for directions and all that sort of stuff and coming up with the right answers and they're they're discussion creators, they're discussion starters. And then the third element of the game is positive affirmations. So if you say a positive affirmation um daily, it actually helps release release natural endorphins within within your body. So that's kind of the the crux of the game really, I suppose.
3: And it has wider uh, applications and implications, may I say, because this was developed uh, with the young travelling community in mind. But by God, this has as is for any uh, group in society. Okay, that's fair to say.
8: Oh, absolutely, yeah. So when we started making the game first, kind of one of the young people said, you know, they they, they were so proud of it themselves, which is unbelievable to hear young people say, because lacking in confidence can be a problem with young people. So they were saying, like, you know, we don't have to keep this to ourselves. And I was like, God, no. So while it is made for our young people, and the initial No Shame campaign was for the Traveller community, the No Shame game is for everybody. So we were very lucky to get funding from Facebook, or Meta, as they're called now, from their community foundation, and um we we got a hundred games made, and initially, and so the plan is to give a game to every post primary school and every youth and community service that works at young people in county Mead for free. So, um, and since then, we've now applied for funding from the Bank of Ireland Begin Together Fund, and we are going to train eight youth leaders who are going to spend a couple of days in Centre Parks, which is a nice perk. And they're going to then go around to the schools and youth reaches and youth services in the, the county over September and October, and they're going to run peer-led youth um, workshops around mental health. So. You know, young people understand young people better, you know, um, and I think it's a great opportunity for them to, you know, to stand there and be proud of who they are as young people and be proud of who they are as young Traveller people because, um, Mm. you know, they've won an award this week for Traveller Pride Week, so that was an amazing recognition of all their hard work that they have done um, to win that national award and that we were up in Dublin on Tuesday there receiving that, so that was a great recognition.
3: We, I saw you recently and, and groups at the Doll as well, highlighting the fact that the suicide rate among the travelling community is six times what it is elsewhere. And, you know, you have this whole thing, uh, this undercurrent going of racism and discrimination that's still there. Is it still as vile and as common as previously, Kay? Or is yeah. there any progress being made there?
1: There is
8: some progress. Um, obviously, you know, I, I would like to think in Ireland we're getting better every day. But I'm sure, no doubt, as a, a broadcaster, well, any time you bring up anything to do with the traveller community, and even now, no doubt, maybe some people are already texting in with their horrible and vile comments to what the traveller community are, and you know, and these are these are hard facts of who and um, what my young people and my some of my colleagues and friends have to put up with um, on a daily basis. The discrimination is real. I unfortunately, I think it's. The last acceptable racism in Ireland, you know, thankfully we have turned our back on racism and discrimination towards um, people from the, you know, from African countries and other nationalities and other ethnicities and, you know, the LGBT community. You know, things are beginning to change, but it sort of seems to be that you can say what you want about the Traveller community to a certain extent, and... You know, and it's awful, you know, and that that impacts these young people's lives from from a very early age of what they they think they're able to do with their lives. You know, like, I I have some friends who are a bit younger than me in their 30s are from the travelling community and been told things like, well, you'll never be a guard, which thankfully was proven wrong this week also, and you'll never do this and maybe not being taught Irish at school and and things like that, you know. So, unfortunately, it's it's not just in the community. Some of it is institutional as well, the, the, the discrimination that exists. So I, I was up in with the Minister for um, T- Children and Youth yesterday, Roger Gorman, and he's put new STEM funding in place for participation of young travellers across the governmental department to influence and to have that lesser voice heard on different political issues as well. So that's that's really, really good. So we'll be working closely with the Corlan and OG across the country to try and um, increase traveller participation in that regard
3: as well. Isn't it funny? Education is the key to an awful lot in life and travellers access to education and moving through the school system from primary, secondary into third level onto university. We hear stories that it, that it is happening uh, bit by bit. But on the other hand, Kay, the general public need education as well.
8: They do indeed and, and our organization actually um delivers traveller culture and identity training. And you know, we we've delivered it from community radios to colleges Um, Only two weeks ago, we delivered it to Loud Leader. You know, and it's really important. I think people need to understand and recognize how important the traveler community are within our own Irish society. Like, there are, are indigenous people. And we have this romanticized view of other indigenous communities, like, you know, in America and Australia and things like that. And the same health and educational inequalities exist across the world for indigenous people. So, you know, I think education is the power. You know, and Nelson Mandela said it, like, you know, the education is the power to a good and healthy future. And But that isn't just for the traveling community. That is also for the service community. And I think mm-hmm. people do need to open up their minds and to acknowledge that there's good and bad in every community. Like, our community never has to apologise for our neighbours' behaviour, but we seem to bestow that upon the Traveller community, that, you know, if somebody does something wrong, then, well, it's the whole community is to blame, and the whole community yes. is expected to apologise. You know, and, you know, I, I think in this day and age, moving forward, and I, I would love for people to meet my colleagues who work with me and my team, the likes of Brian, who also won a Traveller Pride Award this week, um, who went back to college this year who worked tirelessly through COVID, who never, never, ever took time off during COVID to make sure our young people were engaged and looked after and reached out to them the whole time. And that's who, when I think of travellers, I think of Brian's and I think of the Patrick's that I work with and Thomas's and Emily's. And people don't think of that. They don't think of the people like that. They only think of the stereotypes that they see or that they Mm. hear of, unfortunately.
3: Well said. Well, well said indeed. And congratulations to you and everyone involved for all you do, and especially to the group behind this uh, No Shame, which has been acknowledged uh, nationally this week and is about to roll out uh, right across beyond County Mead and the country, hopefully in the near future. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Kay.
8: Always a pleasure. And thanks so much for being one of our champions and an ally to the traveller community. It is great that you do give us this platform to talk. Thanks a million.
3: Not at all You're very welcome anytime. That's the wonderful Kay McCabe there Senior project worker With involved A wonderful Wonderful woman And it's important That we heed What she has to say It really Really is You're with Late Lunch On LMFM Radio After three in the show We're meeting a young Tennis protege From County Meath But heading up To news weather and sport Top of the hour Ah it's Dusty Miss Springfield And son of a preacher man I love it I love it
2: Reach a song and where his daddy will visit, he
7: come along. When they gather around and started talking, that's until they would take me walking. i through the backyard we go walking.
3: Madonna, Madonna Madonna is my artist of the week this week. I did mention she was married to Sean Penn from eighty-five to eighty-nine. Well, she didn't have enough of marriage because she then married Guy Ritchie and she was married to him from 2000 to 2008. She had a daughter Lourdes in 1996 and a son Rocco to Guy Ritchie. He was born in the year 2000. She also adopted a son and daughter David and Mercy from Malawi. There was a lot of controversy if you remember around that and indeed she went on Much later, as recently as 2017, she adopted two more children, twins, four-year-olds, again from Malawi. Now she has a family of six children. Well, some of them grown up at this stage. I'm sure she has plenty of help with rearing them. I'm just thinking of Catherine Lord, who was with us, the nanny earlier on in the show. I'm sure she has plenty of assistance. When you, you, you talk about Madonna's name, where did she get the name from? Madonna is her name. That is her real name. And she was called after her mother. And sadly, her her mother developed breast cancer when she was expecting a sister of Madonna's and she passed away, her mum, when Madonna was only five years of age and the man was just thirty. really, really sad. So she really grew up uh, without a mother and she talked about the implications of that as well for her in her lifetime. Now, today on the show, it's uh, back to the True Blue album and Madonna's fourth UK number one, yes... The beautiful island it translates into, La Isla Bonita. And she says herself that this song is a tribute to the beauty and mystery of the Latin American people. One of Madonna's most catchy songs by far. Donna, my artist of the week this week on Late Lunch with one of our most summery songs on this summertime afternoon. Weather beautiful all across the northeast and to continue beautiful for the next number of days. Indeed, the temperatures rocketing up to the high 30s come uh, late weekend and into the early days of next week. It's amazing the way the weather patterns switch so quickly and can adjust in this country this little island off the coast of Europe and at the travails of the Atlantic as well. Anyway, and <clears throat> let's enjoy it the nice weather that we're having at the moment, but taking care as well in the extreme heat that's on the way. And I'm sure we'll be talking more about it on Late Lunch over the coming days. And I'll be back to Madonna round about this time tomorrow. And I'm going to play one of our classic songs, that's for sure. You're with Late Lunch on L- LMFM Radio. And a final break of this Thursday afternoon is on the way. And afterwards, we're going to be joined by a young woman from County Meath who's making waves in the world of tennis. Yes, the dust has barely settled on Wimbledon and tennis is still in the air everywhere. And we're talking tennis, finishing off our late lunch this Thursday afternoon. I'm delighted to say hello to Emily O'Byrne. Hello, Emily. Hi, Jerry. Thanks for joining me on late lunch today to finish off our show this Thursday. You're tennis mad?
7: Yeah, Definitely.
3: <laughs> when did you take up the game? Tell me, please.
7: Um, I started playing when I was seven years old. My mum brought me to the tennis club and ever since then I knew I'd love the game.
3: So that was the tennis club in Kells? Yes. So from seven. And did you like it from the first time you really took the racket in your hand and hit a ball across the net, yeah?
7: Yes, but I was a bit, you know, excited and scared. I was thinking, how how is this going to work?
3: But worked it certainly did, and you are making tremendous progress. Tell us about you and tennis how it developed from there from seven years of age. What happened to move your career along?
7: I think just you know training and competitions really helped and made me love the game more because I'm a very competitive person
3: and are you are you what height are you may I ask
7: I'm five eight.
3: OK, so you're good. You're a tall young lady, so yeah, and you're 15 years of age. So you're able to bang in a, a good serve, I'd say. Yes. Yeah, that's very important in the tennis game. We saw it with the young lady who won Wimbledon this year. Her serve was uh, amazing and carried her t- to victory. So you, you, you practice a lot. You've got coaching along the way. How many times typically, you know, during the summertime now, you're playing tournaments, are you, at the minute?
7: Yes, I'm in a, an under-18th final tomorrow in Tipperary.
3: And you're only 15? Yes. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. You know that, Emily. That's really promising to hear that at 15 years of age. So there's a circuit of competitions on during the summer and you're travelling around playing in them?
7: Yes. I travel now, usually around Ireland and like abroad sometimes.
3: Okay. And you're involved, of course, with the governing body, Tennis Ireland? Yes. So they've, uh, they've uh, recognised you and you're under their wing as well. Tell me about the Navin ladies because you're playing at a senior level. Haven't you been last winter with them as well?
7: Yes. We played the Winter League and Summer League and in the Winter League we won it and we got promoted to Class 3 next year. And due to junior cert this year I was a sub for the Summer League which I brought them to the final.
3: Great. Great. So the studies restricted a little bit in taking part in, in the summer uh, team event. Where do you hope to go with this? What are your ambitions for your tennis career?
7: I think my ambition is to, you know, improve travel and, you know, compete as the best as I can.
3: So at the highest level possible, that's where we are aiming for. What yeah. do you play with? What 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 racket do you play with? What brand of racket is yours? Babolat. Okay, and the Rafa do you like? To...
7: One.
3: Oh, listen, Ra- Rafa Nadal. Why wouldn't you be good playing with a a racket from Rafa Nadal? Is he your hero when it comes to men's tennis, or is there somebody else you love?
7: I love Rafa, but I also like Djokovic as well.
3: Oh, yeah, he's some player, isn't he? He's really yeah. nearly unbeatable at times, especially on the grass at, at Wimbledon. And what about the ladies' game? There's been a lot of change. And, you know, the Wimbledon title uh, recently, well, it was very open. It was up for grabs. Is there someone you really admire, a, a ladies' tennis player?
7: I really like Anjabar. But oh. I also like Elena Rubikina as well, because they're both great fighters. Um, yes.
3: Yeah. yeah, Anjabar, she was... I thought she was going to win the final did you when she won the first set?
7: I thought so too
3: <laughs> Yeah but there you are it's a longer game it's the game of three sets and you have to uh, emerge top at the end of it what's your um your surface that you're playing on mostly is it a, a hard surface you play on?
7: Um, Sometimes well it really depends where I play
3: OK so what's your preferred surface?
7: I think my preferred surface is carpet because I mostly train on it, but then yeah. sometimes I play on hard court, which is not, like, I can easily adapt to it as well.
3: Mm. Have you ever played on a grass court?
7: Yes. Yeah. I have what? played in Carrick Mines for tournaments.
3: Okay, what do you make of grass compared to those other surfaces?
7: It's, um, it's alright. It's, like, very slow, mm. but also... You know, the ball doesn't bounce as high, so you have to really, you know...
3: Yes, yeah. But
7: so yeah, not there's my a lot. There.
3: Yeah, and they're, they're spinning the ball and slicing it and everything. You can watch that at Wimbledon. It is quite obvious. Um, <clears throat> in terms of your game, where's your strength? Is your strength in your serve, the return of serve, your backhand, your forehand? Where would you say you're strongest?
7: My depth definitely my forehand. I'm very okay. aggressive... I like to attack on the forehand
3: Okay, so that's, that's the strong point But you have to work, then I take it, on the backhand
7: Yeah, I'm good at the backhand as well I just think my forehand's way better
3: And your serve, you get a big percentage of those first serves in, do you?
7: Yeah, I do
3: Oh, that's very important it is How much time does this take up? How much practice? How much time do you put into that aspect of the game?
7: A lot, to be
3: honest What's a lot? How many days do you play?
7: Four days a week.
3: Oh, that's a big commitment. Is, would that be all year round? You'd play four days or is it more summertime? You'd give it four it's, days.
7: It's more summertime but twice a week in Dublin because I usually go for the Leinster Academy squad. Yes.
3: Okay, okay. And when you go there into academies and you're with other girls who are picked for that academy, what's the competition life like? Is it stiff competition? Yeah. Mm. but that's where you need to be isn't it testing your skills isn't it against yeah. the very best yeah yeah you got to be there you got to be there would you love to make it you know to a major tournament that you were playing in you know the juniors for a start at Wimbledon and stuff like that would that be a dream for you
7: obviously because you know I've played a yeah. lot of ITF and I know how players play so I really would love to go to a Junior Grand Slam
3: well, there you go. That's your dream, young woman. Aim for it, aim for the stars and who knows. Emily, best of luck for the rest of the season. Thank you for joining me today.
7: Thank you. And also, um, can I just give a quick um, special mention to some people? Quickly. Yeah, um, I'd like to um, give a shout out to amazing people in Nalvin Tennis Club, T-Rica and Kells, Leinster Tennis, Mark Finnegan from all sports recruitment, John McGann and everyone who supports me.
3: Well done to all of you. Keep supporting this young woman and the stars and the skies of the limit. Thank you, Emily. Wish you well again. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Emily O'Byrne there making waves in the world of tennis. Coming up on Late Lunch tomorrow afternoon, Joe McCabe, the amazing story of Daniel McGovern, Tara Walker and Salads, David Sheehan does the sport and Brendan Crosby, well, he knows all about ice cream. We leave you today in the company of the weekend and blinding lights. See you tomorrow at 1.30 for the final late lunch this week on LMFM radio. Have a lovely evening. Bye. I've been, to
1: call. I've been on my own for long enough. Maybe you can show me how to love.
0: Maybe
1: it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up.